Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, June 10th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we're going to dig into the wide world of REITs, real estate investment trusts. We're going to take a look at DocuSign's latest quarter. We have a couple of listener emails to get to. And as always, we've got ones to watch for you. Joining me in the studio today, thanks to the magic of technology, as always, it's certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything? Oh, just great. You get me all day today. There's not an interview or anything. So it's, you know, just just me. It's just <laughs> you, baby. It's industry well, focus. You. You're, you're here the too. The Matt so. days. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just the host, man. We're going to shine the light on you, Matt. Listen, I had to, I had to deal, you know, we had uh we had we had Full Fest this past week and that was a lot of a lot of talking and spotlighting and stuff, but I didn't see you there, Matt. And you know what? Maddie Argersinger was there. Busting into all this great stuff about Million Acres, our new real estate product, and and you know answering a lot of questions, but I didn't see you. Now I know you're you're working on that product. Why were you not there, Matt? I've actually never been to a Fool Fest, and I actually didn't know they existed until about two years ago. I feel like that's um, just borderline criminal, man. Well, we have our writers' conference every year, so that's, that's kind true. of what they make a big deal out of for us. Uh, that's but right. Ever mm-hmm. since, I, I've only kind of been involved in the the premium side of the business for the past couple of years, so that's kind of and and they invite me, but they always invite me like two weeks before, and with <laughs> with little kid with little kids that really doesn't work. Requires a little bit more planning. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, how how much how much notice do you need to go anywhere? Oh yeah, I've, me man, I, I I try to get stuff laid out at the beginning of the year. Right, and your kids aren't even that little. No, yeah, they're thirteen and well, <laughs> almost thirteen and fourteen. So yeah, well, you'll get there eventually. Uh, well, man, I'll remember that next year. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to give you a heads up here well before it happens. We'll get you up here for it. Please do. I'll be there. Okay, cool. Well, let's jump in today with our first topic. But we wanted to dig into real estate investment trusts, or what some investors may know as REITs. Uh, given that this is the financial show, certainly our listeners always have questions about REITs, and it's a really interesting investment opportunity out there. That I mean, it, it's you know, it's not the most exciting topic in the world. I guess maybe tech is a little bit more of a uh, sexy headline than. Mortgage rates, but but REITs can be really rewarding, and um, and they have been here recently, haven't they? They have. Um, REITs tend to react really well when interest rates are falling. Um, one of the big questions I get: the most exciting kind of REITs are known as mortgage REITs. So that's kind of really what I wanted to go into more today, because those are the ones that have you know ten percent, twelve percent, or more dividend yields, and that. You know, is enough for most a lot of especially casual investors to kind of stop and say, "Wait, why would I invest in you know realty income with a four percent yield when I can get ten to twelve percent from these?" So there are some kind of you know really high paying REITs that a lot of income investors really flock to, but yeah, REITs um, in general tend to respond well to lower interest rates. So we've that's that was the best performing sector. It was the only sector that was up in May. Um, and it's just been a really good time with interest rates falling. Okay, so you're talking about mortgage rates. You said that's that's one of the more attractive uh, areas there. But I mean, you have mortgage rates, you have equity rates. I mean, tell our listeners a little bit about the similarities and the differences between those two. 
Sure. Well, equity REITs are just what you normally think of. Those are the ones that own properties. Uh, mortgage REITs, I don't necessarily think they're the best deal right now, but they're the they're perhaps the most misunderstood kind. Um, they're so different than equity or property owning REITs that they're actually in a different sector of the market. Um, equity REITs are obviously in the real estate sector. Mortgage REITs are in the financial sector just because they're completely different investments. Um, whereas equity REITs own properties, mortgage REITs own mortgages and mortgage-backed securities. But that's not the whole story. They're really very highly leveraged, meaning that – okay, so let me just back up for a sec. Think about it this way. Um, what's your what's your mortgage interest rate ballpark? Do you know off the top of your head, Jason? Uh, yeah, I believe it's 4%. Okay, so let's say um, – one of these mortgage REITs buys the rights to your mortgage, which is paying them 4%. They borrow money at short-term rates, say 1% or 2% to buy that mortgage because you know they're not just going to pocket 4% and be done with it. No sure. investor would be really happy with that. <laughs> so they're going to borrow money at, say, 2% to buy that. And the 2% spread between your 4% and the 2% that they're paying is their profit margin. Huh. And to kind of supercharge their returns – They'll do that five or six times over, so they're making that two percent spread, you know, six times on every dollar they have. So they're making ten percent or twelve percent of their investment as a spread, which is how they can afford to, to, you know, pay so much. I think the technical term for that is making money hand over fist. <laughs> right, it, <laughs> it's very high leverage, and with leverage comes some some risks. Um, I, I mentioned that REITs generally tend to do well when interest rates are falling. Right, but with mortgage rates really tend to get crushed when interest rates are rising. Um, so we already we just gave that example of your four percent interest rate, and a company say borrowing a short term, getting a short term loan at say two percent to buy that. Now, if short term rates spike by say just one percent, and now they're bar- now they're paying three percent to buy your mortgage, their profit margin's been effectively cut in half from that two percent gap to a one percent gap. Uh huh. If if short term rates you know rise two or three percentage points, their profit margin can go away entirely, or even go negative in some cases. Now that's a simplified explanation. I mean, th- these companies have ways of hedging against these, but you know, we, it's it's a, not that long of a show. <laughs> but so they tend to do really poorly in rising rate environments, and mortgage rates tend to do also kind of poorly when rates are when interest rates are falling quickly. Um, if say market rates for mortgages, you, you're paying four percent, which is pretty low. Yeah. But let's say somebody who's paying you know seven percent on their mortgage, and now the average mortgage rate is only four percent. What's that person going to do? Refinance. They're going to refinance. Yeah. So you have this prepayment risk when rates are falling, and you'll see. So even if a mortgage re- ends up buying a ton of mortgages that are paying five or six percent. In an environment like we have now, you're going to see a lot of those mortgages be paid off early because people are refinancing and then they don't get any interest payments. Uh-huh. I see. So it's a common misconception that mortgage rates do well when interest rates are falling, but really mortgage rates do the best when interest rates are steady. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I kind of feel like maybe we're generally speaking in a in a land here where mortgage rates are going to stay fairly steady, I mean, whether they bump them up or down a quarter point, you know, I don't know that, that really matters all that much. But um, I, you know, I mean, at the risk of, of uh, 
you know, not getting uh, we, we don't want to get you know email from our listeners saying, hey, you, you led us here to the to the uh, promised land and you didn't give us any any names. Are there um, are there any REITs out there, any any investment opportunities out there that you like particularly that you think our listeners uh, should take a look at? Well, I, um, I've owned Annaly Capital in the past. That's the biggest mortgage rate in the market. And in my opinion, the best managed one. Uh, ticker symbol is NLY. It pays right around 10%, I believe. I haven't checked it in the past couple of weeks. But that's by far, in my opinion, the best managed. They also you can use their scale to their advantage because they're the, the oldest and the largest in the market. Um, there's a few others that I like. Um, my, I know my my father invests in Penny Mac, which is which on my recommendation. Hey, you know, I um, think they have they have our mortgage. As a matter of fact, do they, uh, yeah, they, I make they, a payment they were to formed, Penny Mac every every uh, every month. Yeah, they, they've um, they were formed in the wake of the financial crisis to um, hold a bunch of distressed mortgages, but have since kind of pivoted because distressed mortgages obviously aren't as big a, a big a part of the market anymore. Yep. So they've kind of pivoted and now hold people's mortgages like Jason. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my mortgage <laughs> is definitely not distressed, Matt. Okay, right, that's I my point. My they've kind of pivoted time. to be a, a normal mortgage rate over the past <laughs> yeah. few years. Man, oh, man. Okay, um, yes, and, and, like um, that, it's actually really interesting that you say that because one of their big parts of the business has become mortgage servicing rights. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. They don't owe a lot, own a lot of the mortgages themselves, but they own the rights to collect the payments. It's a lucrative, so. lucrative part of the business for sure. I remember working um, for a time at Bank of America in the lending department there, and I became more and more aware of that servicing side. And it is, man, I tell you, that is a can make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, so it's really interesting that Penny Mac has the servicing rights to your mortgage because that's <laughs> what once the distressed market kind of dried up a little bit. That's really where they pivoted their business. So yeah. Yeah, it's well, cool to see that playing out in the real world. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Well, that's great stuff there, Matt. I do appreciate uh, you digging into those REITs, and certainly uh, any any of our listeners out there with any further questions on REITs, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or hey, even you know ping Matt there at TMF Math Guy, and uh, we'll see what we can do to answer your questions. Uh, Matt, I wanted to take a quick moment here just to review DocuSign's earnings. Earnings came out for DocuSign late last week. Um, you remember this was the stock. This was my one to watch last week, and uh, it was interesting to see how the market reacted to this release from the after-hours behavior to the close the following day. Because for a little while, I mean, the, the stock was getting sold off to the tune of about twenty-two percent, and then I think by the end of close the next day, it was down about twelve percent, and and I think uh, everything sort of leveled off now. But. I mean, on the surface, it was really a strong quarter. I mean, quarterly revenue was up 37%. Guidance for the full year of 32% growth there on the top line. Also strong. I mean, you know, this is one of those new businesses that's still getting its its feet underneath it. So it's not profitable yet, but I mean, it, it definitely has a model that will be profitable. Uh, they have uh, more than 500,000 paying customers now around the world, up from 405,000 in the first quarter of last year. Um, an interesting uh, product they had their DocuSign Gen, which is essentially uh, for small to medium-sized businesses, primarily in the Salesforce ecosystem. And I'm just going to tell you, man, when you're a part of a Salesforce ecosystem, that's a good ecosystem to be a part of. Uh, generally speaking, that is the leader out there in the CRM or customer relationship uh, management space. Uh, so that that they're trusting DocuSign, uh, I think, is a good sign. I think the main concern there with the quarter focused more on the billings number, which at 27 percent or so. 
wasn't bad. I think it was just maybe a little bit lighter than what uh, you know expectations were. Uh, you know, I think the thing with a business like this, though, is you have to be careful. Billings are very sensitive to timing, and so on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis, if billings are a little bit weak or a little bit strong, you can't look too terribly much into that. You know, I mean, unless you're seeing a trend develop, uh, which you know we haven't seen that yet with DocuSign. But a lot of times, with a company like DocuSign, when they're building out new products and services for their customers and upselling and adding new customers, you can start to see some timing issues play out on how they're uh, renewing contracts and in in you know marking for those billings as as the year goes on. Um, the bottom line is that DocuSign continues to grow its its uh, customer base tremendously. I mean, if you look at Customers with an average contract value now of greater than three hundred thousand dollars that grew fifty one percent year over year. They now have three hundred twenty four customers with average contract value of greater than three hundred thousand dollars. And to put that into context, in fiscal year two thousand and thirteen, that number was just thirty. So from thirty to three hundred twenty four. I mean, that seems like a trend we should be getting behind, right, Matt? Definitely, and I, I kind of think a DocuSign is um, it's your green dot. I had a very similar situation a couple weeks ago yeah. where I gave my one to watch as Green Dot ahead of earnings, and we did watch it. We watched it go straight down after earnings. <laughs> but you explained so, why. I had to get a good explanation. <laughs> right. That's my point. Um, on the surface, everything looked good, but there was some like like weak guidance, which is which we saw in DocuSign just now. Um, a big thing, investing in new products, which is a big part of DocuSign's earnings report. Um, so both of them are kind of investing more for the future. You know, current growth is a little slower than the market would like to see, but and that's why the stock is down. But for long-term investors, this is this is what you want. Yeah. I mean, this is an ideal situation if you're in it for the long haul. Yep, I agree. I mean, I think it's you know one where the the total market opportunity out there for for a business like this is just so large. I mean, they're not going to be the only game in town. They don't have to be. I mean, there's uh, you know there are other companies out there that do that do it well also, but. Um, DocuSign is obviously doing a lot of good stuff, and and that's what the numbers are telling. Is so, uh, you know, I'm I'm hanging on to my shares, and I could certainly see adding to this position over time if if it seemed like those numbers uh, continued going where where it looks like they're going. I mean, I, I think you know we'll keep an eye on that Billings number, and if for some reason we start seeing um, you know a trend developing in Billings weakness, then we can address that because that's something that we don't want to just. Uh, push to the push to the side, but for now, uh, look like another strong quarter for what is a uh, strong looking business. Uh, Matt, before we continue, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job, and the odds are that that person is on LinkedIn. You know, Matt, over the past several months, we've hired four new analysts on our analyst team here. We've also just brought in two new investing interns who are starting today, this very day. We've got all of these interns walking around this office. They're all, uh, they seem to be very happy to be here. And I can tell you, LinkedIn was an invaluable resource for us in making those tough decisions because you can, you can, as you can imagine, our internship program here is quite popular. We do get a lot of applications. LinkedIn's jobs make it easy. To get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role, that's because people come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means you can use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone because your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. Your LinkedIn Jobs 
Matches are based on skills and backgrounds, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. So it's no surprise that customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Matt, we want to jump into a couple of listener emails here real quick before we wrap things up. Uh, Jay Otto sent us an email, and he said, I just wanted to let you know that I bought some shares of DocuSign after the dip yesterday. I wasn't waiting for a dip, but it just worked out timing-wise for me perfectly. And then he asks, I hope you don't mind one other quick question. I know FoolFest was going on, and I was curious. If you're a Fool member subscriber, are you able to attend FoolFest? It seems like a great event, but I feel like I never hear anything about it in advance. And then I see that it's happening, or maybe it's targeted at a different audience. I'm not sure. Uh, thanks again for all of your great work. Uh, hey, listen, Jay, thanks so much. And I, I think you probably made a, a, a nice move there with DocuSign. It sounds like that was just good timing on your part. Uh, in regard to Fool Fest, that is, you know, Fool Fest for a long time, it has been targeted to uh, certain member bases. And what we ultimately are doing is growing out. Uh, the people that we are are able to bring into Fool Fest because we're finding clearly that more people want to come. And uh, this year we were able to move to a bigger facility and really, uh, you know, learn about how to to bring in that much uh, of a larger crowd. So I suspect that as time goes on, uh, we will continue to bring in more subscriber bases. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And as always, you can drop us a line at, at uh, MF uh, at Industry Focus uh, at Fool dot com, and we will uh, forward any information we have on any future Fool Fests or other events because they certainly are a lot of fun. And uh, another email here from Adel Naji. Adel asks, what does top and bottom line mean? Top and bottom of what? Keep up the good job. Matt, top and bottom of what? See, that's actually a really good question just because it's really important to ask if you don't understand the basics when you're starting to invest. Um, so I'm going to answer that one, and I have a couple more of my own, but so top and bottom line refers to um, the top and bottom of a company's income statement. The top line is the revenue number. That's how much a company is selling. Then you have a bunch of things subtracted from it, say your all your, you know, ongoing business expenses, your I mean, taxes, interest you're paying on debt, things like that. And then you get to the bottom line of the income statement, which is your earnings or your profit. Um, generally, that's expressed on a per share basis. But you could see a bottom line as you know a number in the millions, meaning a company's profit. Or you could see an earnings per share, which is also known as the bottom line number. So top line refers to revenue. You know, Before anything, just how much a company is selling, bottom line refers to profitability or earnings. Um, another term that I get asked about a lot, not on the show, but just in general, so I wanted to address it, um, is the difference between the, these three terms, a stock market correction, a bear market, and a recession. These terms are often used interchangeably, and they have three very different meanings. <laughs> um, so being that the market seems to move in and out of correction quite a bit over the past year or so, um, just starting with correction, because that's the most mild of the three terms, um, a correction just means a drop of 10% from an index or a stock's recent high. Um, so if a stock you know, or a, 
a certain index, you know, recently topped out at 100, uh, a move down to 90 would be considered a correction. A bear market is a little bit more intense than that. A bear market is defined as a 20% drop from recent highs. So if you hear that the the S&P just entered a bear market as we it did in the late in um the end of last year, that means it fell 20% from its recent most recent high. Um finally a recession You'll hear people misuse recession all the time. If, you know, just the stock market's doing badly, they'll say, hey, we're in a recession. And a recession actually has a really more specific economic meaning. It means two consecutive quarters of of GDP decline. Generally, you hear, you know, GDP grew by 3% last quarter, 2%, whatever. Um, so two consecutive quarters of declining GDP would is how you know we're actually in a recession. So correction, bear market, and recession all have three very different meanings. The first two have to do with the stock market in particular. The third is more of an economic term that generally means the market's going down, but it doesn't have to. And so, yeah, those are the three terms that is are important to know, especially in the context of today's news. All right. Very good stuff. Well, let's wrap it up for the week here. Uh, what is your one to watch? What stock do you have your eye on this week? See, mine's not actually a stock. I am watching Treasury yields just because of the wide implications on everything we cover here. Oh, you um, finance guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we have a Fed meeting coming up next week, as you know. Um, I won't be on the show next week, so I kind of wanted to mention this. The interest rates have kind of been jumping all over the place lately, mostly in the downward direction because of the threat of tariffs. Um, but today, I mean, they popped up six basis points today as I'm right as I'm talking, which is a pretty big one-day move. So this is definitely worth watching as we're going into a Fed meeting over the next couple weeks. Um, Banks tend to react positively when interest rates rise. So for example, if the Fed doesn't cut rates, you might see an interest rate um, rise after the meeting. If the Fed does cut rates, you might see interest rates fall a little bit, depending on, you know, tariff threats. There's, you know, a hundred different variables. Sure. So um, if the Fed cuts rates, it could definitely be a positive for the market, meaning lower interest rates. That would, could be a negative for banks, um, be very positive for REITs um, if rates kept falling. So a, cu- a bunch of moving parts there. And the big question on everybody's mind is, will the Fed cut rates? Um, the president seems to think they should. A lot of experts seem to think a rate cut is almost priced in at this point. Um, Goldman Sachs actually came out with a research note a few minutes before I started talking here um, <laughs> that they don't think that the Fed will cut rates this year. So that might, you know, be an interesting dynamic. And they, they said this year, not just this meeting. I was going to say, that seems to be a bit of a contrarian take altogether. Yeah, that's a pretty bold call, especially coming from someone as big as Goldman Sachs, who you know, generally is pretty accurate with things like these. So I'm watching interest rates as we go into the Fed meeting. A great one to watch for um, for bank and real estate investors is the 10-year treasury, as it seems to be a really good indicator on what those stocks are going to do. Okay. Uh, well, I am going to go with a stock this week, and uh, Salesforce is one that's in the news. If you saw, Salesforce is making an acquisition of a company called Tableau, and ultimately, you know, Salesforce is a it's an online solution for customer relationship management, and Tableau is a company that's going to help them uh, make more sense of the data that they get and uh, figure out how it can uh, be. Uh, Best used to help their customers, and so ultimately, this just really is a play on the digital economy. And um, you know, it's it's estimated by 
2022 that more than 60% of global GDP will be digitized. Uh, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense, just if you look around and how we're spending our money today. But I think it's really interesting the way Salesforce is accomplishing this deal. It's going to be an all-stock deal as opposed to using any cash or debt. Um, and you know, it used stock price near all-time highs. I think that's a clever way to go about it when you got to make a big acquisition like this, $15, $16 billion. The stock price is high and you use all stock. That's essentially a cheaper form of currency. Um, and so they will be able to protect the balance sheet. And I think that given the business that they're adding, uh, it should actually be accretive to Salesforce's uh, financials in fairly short order. So shareholders shouldn't really feel too diluted and should still feel happy about owning a leader in the space. Uh, with that said, Matt, I think we're going to wrap it up here, man. I appreciate you being here with us this week. Yeah, it was a fun show. Absolutely, as always. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, 